0: Okay, good morning everyone. Good morning to you. How are you this morning? Okay. Good. Okay. Today's, uh, today's topic is on um, Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And uh, turning failure into success, we'll see how Jesus dealt with that. Thank you. How Jesus dealt with that regarding Peter and the uh, uh, disciples as they tried to fish all night with uh, not being very successful at all. So if you turn to Luke 5, we'll begin reading there. I'm going to read first the gospel um, and then kind of walk through the text with you and then we'll go to the notes here. Okay, so this is Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Begin while the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Jenereset and he saw two boats by the lake And when they had done this, they enclosed a great shoal of fish as their nets were breaking. They beckoned to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished at all that were with him, and all that were with him, at the catch of the fish which they had taken. And so also were James and Zebedee, sons, I'm sorry, St. James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And then Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid, henceforth you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So let's pray now. So Lord, we turn to you this morning and thank you for the word of God, and thank you for the word that brought forth in Peter's heart and the disciples a miracle that changed their lives. They were never the same thereafter. And so, Lord, we pray this morning that your word would also change our hearts so that we will not be the same hereafter, that your word will have effect upon us and draw us into that place of communion with you by which we know that is your gift to us and that will bring about the change in us that you desire. Help us to look at the failures in our life, Lord, from a new perspective this day, as you speak your word to us, and speak your word over those situations that we've experienced. And We pray all this through Christ, our Lord. Amen. 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 Okay, so let's take a look at Luke chapter 5, and um, just take a look at, go through the text first of all, before we get to the notes. Just to give you a little bit of background, Luke's Gospel um, is, uh, you know, all the Gospels are unique. They have their own flavor to them, and and Luke is unique, too. Luke's Gospel has a strong emphasis on the healing ministry of Jesus. He's uh, very much, uh, the the humanity of Jesus comes through in Luke's Gospel. It's a love for the poor that's uh, really unique in this Gospel. He has a, um, a, a deep sense of respect for women. Women are always appearing in Luke's Gospel in, in this time and season of the culture's life. Women were not all that uh, favorable in the culture, and but Jesus had a great, great uh, honor of them, and that appeared many, many times um, you know, throughout, throughout Luke's Gospel. Great emphasis on the Holy Spirit in Luke. Time. Luke also is the author of uh, Acts, the book of Acts. So you might say uh, Luke is, is part one of his work, and Acts is part two. And so you see a lot of the Holy Spirit in Luke's uh, gospel. Luke is a physician and uh, uh, a doctor, and uh, he traveled with St. Paul. So uh, it's, it's believed that uh, Luke um, really uh, got a lot of his understanding of who Jesus was through, uh, through St. Paul and his travels. Um, Luke's gospel is written to someone called Theophilus, who is it's believed to be in the upper... Courts of the Roman Empire Not exactly sure what position he had um, But he seems to be way up there in Caesar's Court, had some kind of administrative Position. Uh, It's believed that He was a Christian, this person So Luke was writing his Gospel and the Book of Acts For his sake, to help him Catechize him, help evangelize him More deeply into the Christian faith Um, So uh, it's also written to a Community too. Uh, Luke had his Community was made up mostly of Gentiles For the most part, uh, as you will see Luke's Gospel and the Book of Acts it has a unique perspective of the gospel, goes to all nations. In fact, we see where in um, in the book of Acts, of course, the church is constantly pushed out of Jerusalem to go more and more to the ends of the earth, you know, Samaria, uh, you know, to eventually Cornelius' house, who's a Gentile, you know, and so on, uh, as the fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy that would take place. So that's Luke for you. And today's gospel we look at is, uh, again, we see the humanity of Jesus coming through, we see... Uh, how he addresses a situation very temporal in the life of Peter and the disciples and takes them to a new level of relationship with him. Okay, so let's take a look. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. It says, They were pressed upon him to hear the word of God. Now, the word of God appears in d- slightly different forms three times in just these 11 uh, <laughs> verses. And uh, if you look down at um, verse. there, uh, the very end of it he says he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Again, so he's teaching the word. And then he says in verse 5, he says to Peter um, or actually he says to Peter verse 4 put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. That's the word of God. And then Peter responds by saying verse 5, but at your word I will let down the nets. So really, really important to see how the word of God is the catalyst for this miracle in Peter's life. Uh, um, So as something to think about for our own lives, about immersing ourselves in God's Word. Um, Second Vatican Council stated that um, that really, uh, in, a, in a document called De Verbum, where the Word of God was to be returned back to the heart of the Christian people, the Catholic people. Um, pope Benedict, I think in his uh, service as a pope, he really pushed that ahead. In fact, he said if he felt that if God's people could get back to the Word of God, there would be a new springtime in the church. Uh, so... And he said the Bible should be the basis of all our preaching and teaching and catechetics, should be the basis of all our pastoral uh, endeavors. So just think about what that means for a local parish, how the Bible is to be the basis of any endeavor that we embark on and embrace on. Well, that's what, that's, that's what the church is saying today. Um, the catechism states that God feeds us from two tables, the table of his word and the table of the Eucharist. Uh, In another place, it says just one table, and it kind of combines them both together. (laughs) It's like a big, long table, with one end is the Word of God, the other end is the Eucharist. The point being, of course, that they were meant to be fed constantly with the Word of God, and nourished with the Word of God. So so Luke then points out three times here how the Word of God becomes the catalyst for us. So let's take a look here at what happens. He was, um, notice that Jesus wants Peter's boat Okay, we'll come back to that in a minute when we get to the notes, but he wants to use Peter's livelihood as a platform to be able to preach to the people. In verse 3, it says, Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. He did that because water um, magnifies sound, so he could push out into the lake and use the water to be able to speak to what was probably thousands of people at a time. So, okay. Then he, notice what he says in verse 4 when he sees speaking. He said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now Jesus is not um, ignorant of the fact that these guys have been fishing all night. In fact, if you look back at verse 2 there, notice what it says. The fishermen had gone out, gone out of them and they were washing their nets. That meant they were through for the day. And they caught nothing. Can you imagine going home and telling your wife <laughs> I don't have anything? That means no food, no income, you know. You know, so so these guys were depressed, really, because and discouraged. Now, normally speaking, it's a four-hour fishing window for them. They were out there twelve hours. So they were pretty much they exhausted everything. Now, also keep in mind, these guys were pros. This was the, these were the professionals. This was their livelihood. They knew the waters. They knew fishing. This was their trade. This is how they made their living. You know, so you know, it's one thing for the amateurs to be discouraged. It's another thing for the pros to be discouraged. And here we are having the pros terribly discouraged in this situation uh, because they had nothing to bring home to their family. That was going to be the the economics of their of their livelihood. Um, so. That's why they stayed out so long. So Jesus says, push out, uh, throw out into the deep, um, and let down your nets for a catch. You know, Jesus, uh, he's, look at the, the language and the tone. He says, put out into the deep and get ready for a catch. It's like, I'm sure Peter is thinking to, to himself, you know, hey, I'm the fisherman, you're the carpenter. <laughs> so let's get these roles straight, right? You know, uh, we've been working at this like for a long time, you know, and, uh, so, and there's nothing out in that deep, you know, because we've been there. <laughs> we were there, okay? And then uh, Peter, however, doesn't argue with Jesus. He makes a statement, we toil all night and took nothing. Uh, you know, I don't know how he said that. Did he say that angrily? Did he say that like in resignation? Did he say that like you know, uh, cynically? You know, I don't know. The scripture doesn't say. But he does then follow through with say, "But at your word, I will let down the net." So, however he said it, he was willing to obey. And I don't know whether he said, "Well, I'll show him," <laughs> but I don't think necessarily that was the tone, you know, it, because. Because at this point, Peter could have just simply said to Jesus, Hey, bud, you stick to your thing, I'll stick to my thing, and we'll be cool. You already have my boat here. (laughs) All right? All right, so when they had done this, they enclosed a great shoal fish, and their nets were breaking. So this is obviously something they weren't expecting. You know, this was something that caught them by surprise. In fact, Luke makes a point of saying that. Look at verse 9. He says... For he was astonished, all that were with him at the catch, them, and all that were with him at the catch of the fish. The word "astonished" means that they were just completely floored. They were taken back in a way that they had never expected. They were just overcome by the circumstance. They were just like uh, they couldn't find the words to account for this. They couldn't find the understanding to account for this. John Paul II said in a uh, message in uh, May 30th, 1998, to about 500,000 Catholics that gathered in St. Peter's Square, it was a gathering of all the renewal movements in the church, and uh, um, he said that the Holy Spirit wants to astonish us in our parishes, he said. And he used that word, astonished. Something I think... Um, we probably have. Uh, he, knows he certainly raised the expectancy in a way that we haven't thought of before. How the Lord wants to astonish His people and astonish us in the situations of our life. He wants to astonish us in our parish life. So the Lord wants to do things for us that um, that perhaps we haven't thought about before. You know, uh, He wants to do more for us than what perhaps we're even asking to do. Yeah. So I think like. one of the the purposes of the scripture teaching is to raise our bar of expectancy in what the Lord wants to do, is capable of doing, and is eager to do. And one of the things we can learn from this particular uh, story here is that not to put limitations in the Lord. I I think that's one of the things that reminds me of the stories in the Old Testament where the Lord told his people, you can go into the promised land, it's yours, go for it. So they sent out maybe 12 spies, and and the 12 spies uh, and saw the Promised Land. They said, "This is wonderful. It's flowing with milk and honey. The grapes are huge." And then ten of the spies says, "But the people in the land are like giants, <laughs> and we're like grasshoppers to them." You know, Caleb and Joshua came back with the with those ten. Of course, the people, the ten reported that to the, to the to Moses and the people, and the people just you know said, "You know, we're done. Forget it." You know, but Caleb and Joshua said, "No. The Lord said we can have it." The tragedy of that moment was that. Most of the people believed the ten spies. And they grumbled and complained, and they walked away in disbelief. And uh, unfortunately, that whole generation of people died in the desert. It would take a new generation to eventually uh, possess Canaan and the Promised Land. My point is simply that their expectations of the Lord were so far low than what he was capable and wanting to do. Okay, so what does Peter respond? Verse 8. Peter saw it again and fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Now, Peter is having what's called, theologically called a theophany, which simply means an encounter with the Lord that just undid him. (laughs) You know, it just undid Peter's life in a way that he never saw the Lord before. His life would never be the same from this moment on. That's what Luke wants us to hear here. Um, An encounter with Jesus does just that. It's it leaves us different than what we were before. It changes us in a way that we can't go back to the way we were before. It doesn't mean we don't, you know, mess up and foul up and but we know and the memory our memories there is an encounter with the Lord in which I, we can never go back to the way it was before. Even if I fail, even if I sin, no matter even if I, no matter what I've done, I know that in my memory there is this encounter with the Lord in which my life can never be the same. And the Holy Spirit uses that. He always brings that back and refreshes us in that. That's what happened to Peter. What, what goes on now, let's look at uh, verse, uh, let's see, verse 10 says, James and John, Sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. So this is, they were um, a fishing fleet. This was their business. Okay, and then Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid, henceforth you will be catching men. Notice that what happens in this is there's a, in the midst of this, there is a, a mission for Peter and the other disciples. And typically, in any encounter with the Lord that leaves us significantly changed, there is a mission in it for us. It's just not like, oh, you know, that was a nice thing I experienced. You know, No, no, no. It's like you experienced something that changed your life, and guess what? The Lord's going to use that now to move you into other areas that's going to influence and change lives. It's never just for me. It's for me, but it's more than me. You know, and that's the way the Lord always works. You look at the prophets; it's the same way. You know, Moses in the burning bush. Hey, it's a great burning bush, great encounter with the Lord. It's holy ground. I get it, Lord. Take off my shoes, right? <clears> then <throat> He said, "I want you to go down to Egypt and deliver these people." You know, there was a mission in that encounter, and with the prophets, it was always that way. Isaiah, Jeremiah had tremendous encounters with the Lord, but there was always a mission, in it. and that's no different for us. We who have been baptized and have the Holy Spirit living in us are meant to have encounters with the Lord. Pope Francis said that parishes should be a culture of encounter with the Lord. So parishes would be a place where people are constantly encountering the Lord. And then he said out of that will flow uh, missionary disciples, people that are disciples on mission in the world they live in. Or I like to say this, we're called to be sent on life mission. So, in other words, into our life situations, we carry a message, no matter what that is. And it's alive in our hearts, and it comes out of the encounter with the Lord. So, verse 11 says, when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. There's something unique in Luke. um, All the Gospels have it, but Luke really emphasizes this a lot. He wants us to have a loose hold on our possessions. (laughs) And you can read into that. Uh, not only your physical possessions, material possessions, but reputations, you know, statuses in community. It's like Luke wants to say that an encounter with Jesus will change your perspective at your life in such a way that you'll look at your possessions differently, you'll look at things like your status differently, you'll look at your rep- reputations differently. In other words, we have a, we're to hold one to those things loosely. And that's always Luke's kind of way. He, he addresses this situation a number of different times in his gospel. And uh, to follow Jesus, Luke is saying, we do need to hold, uh, not hold so tightly onto those things, um, because Jesus will lead us into situations where those things could become an obstacle to us, and he wants us to be able to let go of that when we need to. Okay, um, so let's, so just to summarize before we go to the notes here, and that is that uh, the Word of God began the encounter with the Lord. And it was Peter's obedience that opened the door for that encounter, that significantly changed his life. And, and I want to hold out to you, as Pope Francis has been holding out to us lately, this is meant for all of us as Catholics. You know, we might think Peter's, a, you know, Peter was the first pope, and I guess he's in his own category. You know, so I'll never get to that category. So, but no, this is meant for us to hear it freshly for our lives. This is what the Lord wants to do in us. You know. So, okay, let's turn to your notes here. What do you do when you fail in life? Failures, situations of failure with us. Peter was in a situation of failure, right? So were his disciples. They couldn't bring home any food. Um, They were discouraged. They had failed. They were already washing their nets, looking to tomorrow, you know, which is going to be an economic loss for them. That was a big concern. So the boat that Jesus wanted was Peter's boat, and now, and Jesus got in the boat. But now he was saying to Peter, use that same boat to throw your net out to the side. So something was different about the boat now since Jesus got into it. If Jesus hadn't gotten into that boat, what if Peter would have said to him, no, you can't have my boat, Lord. <laughs> there would have been no miracle. The point is that Jesus used Peter's livelihood as a platform to be able to communicate his message. So what do we do, number one here? Invite Jesus into the boat. The boat of your life. What did the boat mean to Peter? For him, it meant food on the table for his family. It meant his livelihood. It was his professional trade, his reputation. So what's your boat look like? Are you willing to give your boat over to Jesus? Are you willing to invite him into the boat? This was no small matter for Peter because Jesus used Peter's boat for a particular purpose. You know, he spoke to thousands of people the word of God that would influence and change their life. Peter allowed Jesus to use his boat, and Jesus took his livelihood took the platform of his life and spoke the word of God that changed thousands of people. And at the same time, Jesus was saying, Peter, I know your need. I'm going to care for you. I know what your situation is. I know the failure you're experiencing. I know the discouragements that you're undergoing. You know, I'm going to care for you and your needs in this situation. If you look at the bottom here of number one, if you look where it says the passage from Matthew 6, says instead, desire first and foremost God's kingdom and God's righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seeking first the kingdom of God, putting him first in our life, inviting him into the boat of our lives, the situations we're facing, the promise is that if we do so, then all these things that we have need of will be given to us. So that means inviting Jesus into maybe our businesses, our marriages, You know, our health situations. If we don't invite him, he can't get there. Just like if Peter didn't give him the boat, Jesus wouldn't have been able to get in the boat. Okay, number two in your outline here. Admit my own efforts have failed. Admit my own efforts have failed. You know, verse five here says that uh, Peter was saying to Jesus, He said, Master, we put all night, took nothing. Peter is admitting failure. Here's the professional saying, We brought everything to the table here our trade, our experience, our hard work, our ingenuity. Nothing worked, Father Jesus. Nothing worked. I admit that I failed. You know, I admit that it didn't work. The point is, uh, it's difficult for all of us to say that in our situations. Maybe. Uh, it's difficult to admit our points of failure, but it's probably in the point of fi- being able to admit that is the point where the okay. Lord's able then to work the miracle. Because that's what happened to Peter. You know, Jesus said, "We toil all night, took nothing in, but it's your word, I will let down the nets." So in other words, I failed. We failed, Jesus. I failed. You know, and but okay. You said your word, you said do this, okay, I'll do it. What are some causes of failure? Let's take a look at some causes. First, arrogance can be a cause of failure. James says this in chapter 4, God opposes everyone who's proud, but he's kind to everyone who's humble. Surrender to God, resist the devil, and he will run from you. God always works with humility, and he has a hard time working with pride and arrogance. In fact, he can't, really. In fact, it says here, quite dramatically, God opposes everyone who's proud. Think for a moment, God opposing a proud spirit, a proud, an arrogant heart. You know, when I, you know, it's kind of daunting to me to think the times of my life where I've been that way, and God was opposing me. Can you think God opposing me? It's not a very comfortable feeling. <laughs> you know. Um, but that's exactly what the scripture is saying. And that's one of the causes of failure in our life is is arrogance of spirit secondly disobedience Jesus said, this if you love me you will do what I've said and my father will love you I will also love you and show you what I'm like beautiful passage here it speaks of how the Lord um, loves us and he says, you know if we do what he says I'll reveal myself to you I'll show you exactly what I'm like and that's what happened with Peter right G- Peter did obey. And Jesus showed him what he was like. In fact, so much so that Peter was blown away by it and said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. You know, like, this is, you're beyond what I deserve, in other words. Um, that didn't deter Jesus at all. He said, well, don't worry about that, Peter. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. So, you know. So, disobedience can be a tremendous obstacle to the Lord working in our life. The converse of that, obedience opens the door to miracles. Number three, Doubt. But when you ask for something, you must have faith and not doubt. Anyone who doubts is like an ocean wave tossed around in the storm. If you're that kind of person, you can't make up your mind and surely can't be trusted. So don't expect the Lord to give you anything at all. James chapter 1, verses 6-8. through 8. So doubt here. Uh, sometimes doubt is a word that means we're in two minds. We're, like we're divided. One of the ways to cure doubt is to immerse ourselves in the scriptures. You know, faith comes by hearing, hearing God's word. Because so we immerse ourselves in God's word, it begins to clear up our doubts. But doubt can become, uh, it's not something to hold on to. A lot of times I hear people say, you know, almost like they seem to rest in their doubts. Uh, doubts can become troubling to us and disturbing and keep us from receiving all the Lord has, as James indicates here. And lastly, discouragement. This is from Hebrews. So let's also run the race that's laid out in front of us since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Let's throw off any extra baggage, get rid of that sin that trips us up, and fix our eyes on Jesus, face pioneer and perfecter. He endured the cross, ignoring the shame for the sake of the joy that was laid out in front of him, and sat down at the right side of God's throne. Think about the one who endured such opposition from sinners that you won't won't be discouraged and you won't give up. In other words letter the Hebrews is saying Jesus is a great model for us as someone who endured through circumstances discouragement can be one of those um, spirits that really dampen us and prevent us from pers- persevering I remember a cute little story it's uh had a really good point to it, it said that uh, one day uh the devil was visiting one of his uh stores and there was a demon behind the counter right so he said I'm looking for a looking for, a, you know, something to really trip up Christians. And so the demon said, well, Mr. Devil, we have, like, lust over here. And the devil said, no, I don't think so. You know, they, they've been ke- catching a hold of that lately. You know, that doesn't work as it used to work. And they said, well, how about over here? There's, a, you know, there's, like, lying, and, you know. And now, he says, they've been speaking more the truth lately, you know. And that isn't working as well as it used to. And then he said, the devil said to the, or the, to the demon behind the counter, what's that up on the top shelf Demon looked up and said, Oh, that's that's discouragement. And the devil said, I'll take that one. That always works. You know. So discouragement is one of those weapons against us that is meant to prevent us from moving ahead with the Lord. And what letter of Hebrews says that Jesus is a model for us of someone who endured through situations. Okay, number three, obey what Jesus tells you to do. Obey what Jesus tells you to do. Peter said, we twiddle all night, Lord. This is verse 5. But at your word, I will let down the nets. So Peter was willing to obey. I imagine, you know, like I said before, he I don't know whether he didn't seem to argue with Jesus. Don't know exactly the spirit of what he was saying and all that. <laughs> but he did say, I'll do it. Maybe with reluctance, maybe with hesitation, but he did it. You know, it was kind of like he was anticipating Nike. I'm just going to do it, <laughs> all right. I'm just going to do it. I don't know what's going. To, I don't know if it's going to work or not, but I'm just going to do it. So Peter was obedient, even if he did obviously he didn't know the outcome. He didn't necessarily expect the outcome to be what happened, but he just simply obeyed the Lord. Sometimes obedience requires risk on our part, and that's what happened with Peter. He was risky. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17, St. Paul said, So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So we're called to really understand what the Lord's will is. doesn't mean we always understand the outcomes of situations, but we're called to really discern, seek out, and understand what the Lord wants in a situation. Number four, expect Jesus to turn things around. Notice in verse 6, it says, When they had done all this, they enclosed a great shoal of fish as their nets were breaking. And then, if you look at verse 11, it says, And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. There was a level of expectancy that, um, that grew in their hearts as they saw the Lord working in the situation. And expectancy means that there was a confidence in the Lord working. It doesn't mean that they could look into a crystal ball and figure out exactly everything's going to be done or happen. No, but it meant they had started to grow in confidence in the Lord that he was in control of the situation. They weren't, but he was. And they had a, a confidence about enough to be able to say, Lord, we'll follow you and we'll even hold lightly to our possessions, our livelihood, our status, our reputations, in order to follow you and be fishers of men. That's what encounters with the Lord do. It's meant to raise our level of expectancy in the Lord, a level of confidence in him, um, so that we're willing to make changes in our life, you know, so that we can be more available to serve him and follow him in different situations of our life. Jesus said to the blind men there, He touched their eyes and said, "Because of your faith, it will happen." If you look at the bottom here, Saint Ther- Teresa uh, of Lesaux, she's a little flower, she was faced with a situation where she couldn't, she didn't feel she was equal to the task. She felt terribly inadequate. This is what she said she did. She went to God. I went to God in the spirit of a child that throws itself into its father's arms and nestles its head against his shoulder. You do that with the situations in your life that you think, I feel wholly inadequate here. I feel unable to fulfill these tasks. Uh, I'm not up to it, you know. Um, and do we go to the Father and kind of jump up on his lap and mess our head against his shoulder and say, Father, I don't have the ability to do it, but I know you do. I'm relying on you. I'm trusting on you. I have confidence in you. You know, Just the simpleness of, of a saint like this and, you know, she was. Uh, we're not talking about being a rocket scientist here. We're not talking about being a Bible scholar. We're just talking about coming to the Father and trusting ourselves to Him in a way that we put our confidence in Him and not ourselves. When we're faced with situations in our life that we've experienced failure, discouragement, things like that, um, going to the Father and saying, Father, I can't work this out. I can't, I can't make something good come out of this but I'm, I'm entrusting this to you because I know that you can. You, know, you have both the wisdom and the power and the love to be able to do what I can't do. This. Kind of like jumping up on his lap like a child, nestling your head against his shoulder and saying, Father, I trust this to you. you know? So when we well, do look at failure in our life then, <laughs> failure is not final for us. Rather, invite Jesus into the boat of our lives admit our own failures. Basically, it's admitting that I can't, Lord, but you can. And obey what he says to you to do. And the obedience is in the small things, right? Throw your net off to the side. Small thing. But it's in the small things that the Lord began to work his miracle. And then expect him to turn things around. That's how he turns our failures into success in our life. And from this story here, um, we, we see that the Lord wants to do that for us. Okay, got a few minutes before we finish today. Any questions, reflections, comments?